This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. Welcome into a Monday edition of In the Zone here on 1150 KSAL, 106.7 FM. I'm Jackson Schneider with James Wessling for the first time in what seems like weeks because you've been all over Helen back these last few days, yeah. Arkansas and, and all that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so last time we did the show together was last Wednesday. It was almost a week ago, and I planned on doing it with you Thursday and Friday, but because of the weather... I had just a, a nightmare of a travel day on Thursday, and then Friday they kept moving coach interviews and production meetings all over the map. So I never knew when I was going to be on a call or need to run over to the gym. And so it was kind of a wild weekend. Glad to be back and glad to talk some KU and K-State basketball because finally we had a really good weekend for both schools. Yeah, I, th- I think this weekend almost every – I know all every men's team – in the state of Kansas at the Division One rank, all one, K-State, KU, and Wichita State. And then KU and K-State's women's teams both won, but I think Wichita State's women lost, so it was a five for six weekend, which is still, or five of six, I should say. Um, but still pretty good for basketball in the state, so we got to talk a little bit about it. And you, you've been kind of like putting together a mathematical formula over the last however long, try to talk yourself into K-State getting into the NCAA tournament. So I want to discuss that because K-State has now won back-to-back games. And just when I thought I was out, they have pulled me back in after beating Oklahoma State by three on a a, a late three from Nigel Pack. And then they kind of just beat around TCU on Saturday. They won by 12, which may not seem like a ton, but they I'm pretty sure they led like the entire game. So that was never really in doubt, but now they come back home on Wednesday night and they have to play Baylor at home, a team that beat them by 25 a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but it's a big stretch for K-State because they're now 12 and 10 uh, and they're in a tie for 6th place in the Big 12 which may not seem great, but with all the kind of the logjam that it is in the conference right now, there's a lot of opportunity. But James, I want you to take me through all those scribbles on your notepad and and walk me through what you've put together. Sure. So K-State did thump TCU. They led for 39 minutes in that game. So I really don't have an in-depth breakdown of that contest on Saturday, K-State was just the better team and revenged a loss to TCU in the closing seconds earlier in the season. So let's start here. K-State is currently ranked number 62 in the net rankings, which is what the NCAA Tournament Committee uses when they select the field. Joe Lenardi had his bracketology out this morning. He has K-State as the next, next four out. Basically, he has 10 teams in front of K-State right now. Say what you want about Bruce Weber and the last couple of years, A lot of rumors that he's maybe going to retire and that this is his last dance. But Bruce Weber teams in February over his entire 10-year career at K-State have been really good. Even last year, as bad as they were, they only won nine games all year. They went four and two in their final six games. Year before that, they were really bad. Nigel Pack's freshman year still won their last two games. In 2019, K-State went seven and two in February. 
In 2018, they went 8-4 and four in their last 12 games. And in 2017, when they were in a similar situation in terms of being on the bubble, that was Dean and Barry's sophomore year, they won four of their last five games before the NCAA tournament. And there are signs after this weekend pointing towards this K-State team getting better on a game-to-game basis. So the next thing that I'll turn your attention to is the fact that K-State has four quad one wins. Well, what is a quad one win? That sounds like gibberish. A quad one win is a home game against a top 30 opponent and an away game against a top 75 opponent. K-State with their win over TCU is 4-8 and eight in quad one wins, which is a very important metric for the tournament selection committee. Teams ranked Jackson between 27th and 70th in today's net rankings. There's only four teams outside of K-State with four or more quad one wins. TCU, who K-State just beat, BYU, they're definitely in. They've got six quad one wins. Boise State is in as an at-large team. They're 34th in the net rankings. And the other is Iowa State, who's 31st in the net rankings, but only 3-7 and seven in the Big 12. So teams ranked, think about that, 27 through 70. That's 43 teams, 53 teams, no, 43 teams, right? Yeah, 43, no, 53 teams. 53 teams, only four of them outside of K-State, have four quad one wins. So I looked at Joe Lenardi's last four teams that he has in the tournament field. San Diego State, they're 54th in net rankings. They only have one quad one win. Florida only has one quad one win. They're 44th. BYU, like I said, I think they're in. They've got six quad one wins. They're 45th. And North Carolina is ranked 42nd in the net rankings, 20 spots ahead of K-State. But they are 0-7 against quad one teams. They have no quad one wins. So I look at K-State, and I think they're very much in the conversation as of today. Because not only do they have those four wins in quad one, they're also 7-0 and against quad three and four, which is what the tournament selection committee would label as a bad loss. K-State on paper has no bad losses. So I think that obviously helps them as well. And their next four games, Baylor at home, their ninth at Iowa State, their 31st. I think if K-State splits those two, I think they're they're going to jump five or ten spots. And then they have West Virginia and Oklahoma State after that. So as of today, I very much think K-State is back in the conversation for an at-large bid. And I won't be surprised at all if they end up getting in the NCAA tournament. So K-State right now is 12-10 and 10, and they're 4-6 and six in the Big 12. And they're 6th. They're yeah, they're tied the for sixth, 12. but part of that, the only reason they're really uh, tied for sixth and not fifth is because TCU has only played eight games. They had some COVID pauses uh, at the beginning of conference season, so they're two games behind everyone else, and they're going to have to make those up uh, in the coming weeks. They're, they're going to have sort of a like an NBA home-and-home home with KU in the near future on a Thursday-Saturday where they'll play at KU and then at home against KU two nights later. So they'll make up their games coming up. But that's another thing. What I'm saying here is of the games they have left, they have one against Oklahoma State, one against Oklahoma, two against Iowa State, and one against West Virginia. That is five of their remaining eight games against teams that they are tied or ahead of 
in the conference standings. So I personally would call those winnable games. And even that, with one game against Kansas, one against Texas Tech, and one against Baylor still on the table, you could pull an upset and very much help your case in one of those three games. But even then, there is a case to be made for K-State to possibly go 5-3 and three or 4-4 four and four in their last eight conference games, which would then take their record to, let's go on the low end, 4-4. Four and four. They were 8-10 and 10 in conference and 16-14 and 14 overall, which the overall record doesn't sound great. But going 8-10 and 10 in the Big 12 Conference certainly helps. And with an 8-10 and 10 record, you're probably going to have a decent seed in Kansas City. Yep. And you could win a game or two, possibly, to help your case even further. So they're... they're and you and I had said, what, going into the conference season, they needed 18 wins. Is that kind of what we concocted in our brain? I'm thinking as this progresses... 17 might even be enough with as good as the Big 12 seems to be in in a lot of those metrics. So I'm not saying it's a shoe-in by any means, but there is certainly a case to be made. And I would not have said that a week ago because of how poorly they were playing. But oh, how quickly things can change. And I agree. I think the magic number is 17. And going into the TCU game, head coach Bruce Weber said that they needed to go 5-4 and down the stretch that was going into the TCU game which they won so now as you pointed out four and four that's the magic record for the last eight regular season games Oklahoma got in two seasons ago with a 16 and 15 overall record they were seven and 11 in big 12 play and they were a nine seed I will say even on the bubble they had Trey Young they had Trey Young that helped (laughs) actually that may have been the year after Trey Young We'll have to look. We'll, well have they, to look. I remember they got in one year when they definitely shouldn't have, but they got into play because it seemed like they that the NCAA wanted Trey Young Correct. in the tournament. Correct. Um, I'm with you. And I think that was around the same time. But yeah. either way, so Kate, eight and ten in Big Twelve play, I think gets you in, especially considering how good the Big Twelve is this season. Even though they went four and six against the SEC, and I think the conference actually might be a little bit overrated. On paper, in terms of RPI and all the metrics, the Big 12 is the best conference. And I, I will say, you, you went based on Joe Lenardi's bracket, right? Which is is oftentimes um, the, the go-to for a lot of people to look at. But um, he is not the most accurate No, he usually misses two or three every he, year. He's, he's uh, I think there's one, I think it's bracket matrix. Let's see if I can put it up. Um, but it basically, yeah... It, it ranks all of the bracketologists that, like, are – like, you can look at it. And there's, like, 70 or 80 different brackets that they, they will compare and kind of average everything out. So, according to the bracket matrix, let's see if we can find – While you're doing that, real quick. So, K-State's next two games, they played Baylor at home Wednesday and at Iowa State on Saturday – Looking at the rest of their schedule, if they get a win in either of those games, I think they're going to get to 4-4 four and four down the stretch because they still play West Virginia. They still play Iowa State twice. They still have Oklahoma State. By the way, West Virginia and Oklahoma State are at home. They still play Oklahoma at home. Now, they're not going to go on the road and beat Kansas. Um, yeah, that's they're not going to go on the road and beat Texas Tech. <laughs> There's a couple games that, that are losses for sure. But like you said, just about every other game, and look at Baylor right now. 
this is a perfect bounce back spot for K-State. The fact that Baylor drubbed K-State by 25 the first go around does nothing but help K-State in terms of motivation and revenge factor. Baylor's a little bit down on themselves right now. Baylor's 4-4 four and four in their last eight, by the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right, did you find So it? I found this bracket matrix, and I've combed through it. Um, and Kansas State is not currently in the field in anyone's bracket, which checks out. That makes sense. But there's a lot of, of at-large teams um, – that Kansas State is very comparable to, um, and and I would say would have a big advantage uh, over a lot of them because of con- their conference. There's yeah. t- like the quad one wins, like UAB and Belmont and VCU, SMU teams that are um, that are hanging around the conf- the the conversation for at large bids. Um, but if Kansas State can help themselves with some wins here down the stretch, they would most certainly trump a lot of these other teams yep. just because of who they play and on that's a daily why I basis. Picked out, that's why I picked out that basically 27th through 70th, which is 43 teams that are all vying essentially for at-large bids. There's only four other teams outside of K-State that have four or more quad one wins, which a lot of times... The NCAA selection committee looks at those quad one wins before they actually looked at look at who's ranked where. So if you take those those forty three teams and you rank them by quad one wins, K State's in the top five. And I noticed the same thing. I saw a lot of Belmonts and Ionas and um, teams like that around K State. Oklahoma State, who's they're not going to get in the field. They're three and seven in Big Twelve play. Did you say Oklahoma State? Oklahoma they State. They can't oh, go anyway. Obviously, so they, you're they good. couldn't go anyway. You're right. <laughs> but um, there, they were a couple of spots uh, around K State. There were teams from Power Five conferences that don't even have close to the resume that K State does in nope. terms of quality wins. The only thing that's hurting K State, they got a lot of losses. They got ten losses. Yep. Now all ten are to good teams. That's the good thing. But K-State, their strength of schedule is actually top 20 in the country. Even though they played a lot of teams that are ranked in the 300s in the non-conference, they have a top 20 strength of schedule. I think it's 19th right now, according to Ken Palm. I would also tell you that despite Ole Miss being just 12 and 11 uh, and 3 and 7 now in the SEC, uh, they're starting to play pretty well. They beat... Florida by 16 a week or so ago. Then they beat K-State, of course. And they beat LSU at LSU last week uh, and just lost at Florida by five on Saturday. So now they're stretched. They've got Alabama at home and then at Missouri and South Carolina at Georgia. So there's a stretch here where they could win three, four games, Ole Miss could, and really improve their resume, which then makes the K-State loss to Ole Miss look a little bit better, which then helps K-State's resume. So I'm just saying, even with what I would say their worst loss, in my opinion, being that Ole Miss loss from a week or so ago, there's still a case to be made for that to be a pretty darn decent loss, um, which is a good thing heading to to this time of the year. But yeah. who would have thought that a week ago, if you would have told us we'd be having this conversation, because I, I would have told you they were dead in the water. A couple of times now already this season, I've thought that, and they just keep proving me wrong. So it's wild that we're even having this conversation. And when I watched the Ole Miss game, it was painful because I didn't think Ole Miss was a very good team. They didn't, they didn't even come close to passing the eye test, in my opinion. I thought it was a really bad loss. 
So I'm glad that you brought up the fact that they're playing better because I kind of wondered where they were at. And at LSU, LSU's top 10 in the country in Ken Palm. They're a ranked team that almost went on the road and beat. So it was fun this weekend talking to some SEC people, uh, some big Arkansas fans saying that, yeah, we've kind of been watching K-State because Arkansas is a team that they've won seven in a row now, but uh, they weren't really in the conversation in terms of winning the SEC. So they've been watching K-State because they want that to be that, – that's one of their better non-conference mm-hmm. wins. Arkansas looks at their win over K-State now as one of their better wins. And so and, – and I said, yeah, and I'm kind of keeping an eye on Ole Miss because we need Ole Miss uh, to not be a bad loss. And according to the metrics, K-State, like I said, 7-0 and uh, against quads 3-4. and four. They have no bad losses. So Ole Miss is a quad 2 loss for K-State because of how they're playing. Well, we need to get to a break, but uh, to just tease what we kind of need to talk about on the other side of, well, maybe we'll do that in the third segment. We got to talk about the Pro Bowl a little bit because although it happened yesterday, I didn't watch it, and I'm sure a ton of people out there agree because it's not entertaining anymore. We're going to talk about that, but we also need to talk about KU. So I think we might do that when we come back, and then we'll finish the show with the Pro Bowl conversation. But we'll be back right after this. You're listening to In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. All right. In the Zone is powered by Spartan Roofing and Exteriors. They specialize in roofing, guttering, siding, windows, and doors for both commercial or residential work. You can go to SpartanRoofingAndExteriors.com to schedule a free inspection or a project consultation today. That is Spartan Roofing and exteriors.com. Welcome back into In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. I'm Jackson Schneider with James Wessling for your Monday. And uh, in our last segment, we were talking about K-State hoops. So let's flip the needle a a little bit to KU because they had a very good week after having a tough loss to Kentucky. Uh, They followed it up with winning at Iowa State and then also just trouncing a really good Baylor team on Saturday. Uh, James, did you have the chance to watch any of that KU-Baylor game on Saturday? No, I didn't. I actually didn't get to watch hardly any basketball on Saturday. I had a doubleheader, and there was a lot that went into it. I caught, because K-State started so late, I caught the last probably 10 minutes or so of the K-State game. I listened to it on the Varsity app from Learfield. So I listened to a lot of Wyatt and Stan, and those two guys were having the time of their life. But I didn't get to hear any of KU's game because it was an afternoon tip. But uh, I'm all caught up to speed on just how good KU looked against Baylor. Yeah, they were really good. It's There's no way around it. I wasn't sure how this was going to go. But <laughs> KU led 39-21 to at halftime. They were up by, I think, 32 at one point was the most that it reached, maybe a little bit more. Um, but they ended up winning by 24 because Kansas put in their walk-ons with about four minutes left in the game because it was so well in hand. Uh, KU held Baylor to just 59 points. And I'm not sure, but that might... 
No, it's not. They've scored 54 points once this year, Baylor. Uh, but that's their second lowest scoring output of the season. So a pretty incredible defensive effort by Bill Self and the Jayhawks, especially considering kind of how, how bad they had looked against Kentucky on the defensive side of things. So a really nice response and a really good win against a top 10 team in the country. Um and Kansas just keeps winning, right? Nineteen and three now, eight and one in league play. Uh, Baylor is now nineteen and four, and they are four and four in their last eight, uh, which is is worth monitoring uh, because. Uh, there's still a lot to be decided at the top of the conference, but a huge win for the Jayhawks, nonetheless. Yeah, the Kentucky game woke KU up. Major bounce back week for the Hawks. They looked really impressive at Iowa State. That was a 12-point win for KU, but in similar fashion to this one, KU was never in danger of losing that game. And then they had a 34-point lead at one point in time against Baylor. Ochai was back in the lineup. You know, you can make a case that the win at Iowa State was just as impressive due to the fact that Obagi didn't play and KU didn't miss a beat on either end. Um, Jalen Wilson is really starting to come into his own and be the player that we thought he'd be this season. 15 points, 7 rebounds against Baylor. Had a huge game against Iowa State. Christian Brown had a double-double, 18-10. and 10. And Ochai Abaji, um, even though he, he didn't shoot the ball as, as much as he normally does, only 11 field goal attempts, still had 18 points and 9 rebounds. I think he's the best player in the nation. And a lot is made about KU offensively because they lead the Big 12 in scoring. They score over 80 points a game. They're one of the top shooting teams in the country at around 48%. The Big 12 is not a very good three-point shooting league, and so they're barely top 50 in the nation, but they're first in the Big 12 at 36% from three. But this is a really good defensive league, and I think that the most underrated part of what KU did this week was their defense. They hammered Iowa State on the glass. They hammered a big, strong Baylor team on the glass. KU had 11 offensive rebounds and won the rebounding 46-37, to which is why I'm really intrigued by their game tonight against Texas. This is the fifth straight-ranked opponent for KU. Texas, though, is 14-1 at home, finally getting support for their basketball program. And I think with both teams coming off big wins because Texas pounded Iowa State over the weekend, I think it's going to be kind of a sluggish, low-scoring, grinded-out game. Texas is the slowest team in the Big 12. They're one of the slowest teams in the entire country, 320th in pace of play in the nation out of 350 teams. And KU's okay playing that way. We saw them uh, dominate Iowa State in the half court. We saw them play a half-court game uh, at Oklahoma. We've seen them do that this year. So that's what I like about this KU team. Now, they ran into a buzzsaw in Kentucky, Kentucky would actually be my pick to win the whole thing as we sit here today. There's not a dominant team in college basketball. I think they have just as good a shot as, as anybody in the nation. Um, so that that was a, a, a really good team that KU lost to. So I, I think that my point is I, I look more at the way KU's played over the last week with beating Baylor and beating, beating Iowa State. It's a one-point spread tonight. I think it's a coin flip game just because of how low scoring and and how tired I think both teams are actually going to find themselves to be late in the game. But uh, it's going to be fun down there tonight between KU and Texas. I I don't know if I fully agree with the coin flip game side of that. I think I like Kansas. Um, And – 
part of that is because it's hard to to go against Kansas, and and I'll be the first to say that I thought they were going to lose when they played at Iowa State without Ochai or without Remy Martin. Yeah. So hand up, I was wrong. All right, I Big wondered time if you wrong. were going to eat some crow because you and I were yeah. very opposite I, yes. sides of the and fence I, on that one. I owe the public an apology there because I certainly did not think the Jayhawks would win that game at all, and they proved me wrong because that game was never in doubt at all. Um, my second thought on this is Kansas has yet to play Texas this year. Um, and, and Texas is an interesting challenge, but I think Kansas is a much more athletic team. And the pace is, is something that I think Kansas can really control because Kansas has no problem playing in those low scoring grinded out games. We've seen them do that a few times this year already, um, but they can command the pace to a much quicker game if they want to. And I think that's something that Texas is not capable of doing. So as much as Kansas can play slower, Texas cannot play faster and still be successful. And I think that that's why I'm going to lean the Jayhawks tonight. Uh, Also, uh, on top of that, I'm just not fully sold on Texas right now. I know they've got some good wins, but they've also got some bad losses. I mean, they they lost at Iowa State by nine. They lost at home to K-State. They lost at Texas Tech last week in probably one of the more rowdy college basketball environments that I have ever seen, but they were never really in that game. And I just, I think Kansas is is a better team. So regardless of them playing on the road, I think that Kansas should win this game. Uh, And I think we're going to start to see uh, KU put it into the, um, put themselves into the form that we should expect in you know mid to late February from a Bill self-coached team, whereas Chris Beard in his first season at Texas still does not have the team that he will want and will have in the future. And I think that that's going to be a clash in styles that does not benefit, benefit the uh, Longhorns very well. That's just okay. my thought. All right. I like your thoughts. We're going to disagree slightly on this one. Uh, I, I do think KU can win this game. I think it is a coin flip 50-50 game. Um, so you probably lean a little bit more Kansas than, than I do. I do think that that it could come down to pace. Uh, Texas is 17-0 this year when they keep their opponents below 60 points. But during their four Big 12 losses, they've given up 72 points per game. That's a big discrepancy. The thing about Texas is I think Marcus Carr is a guy that can keep them in it and give them a chance to win. I think he's one of the more underrated guards in the league. He's a transfer from Minnesota. At Minnesota, he was their only guy that could score. So he averaged like 25 points a game. At Texas, he's averaging around 15. But in in league play, he's shooting really well from beyond the arc. He's really good at getting to the free throw line and converting. And I just give Texas a little bit maybe of a of an edge in terms of, of the spread because they're at home. Probably a big edge, actually. If this game was in Allen Fieldhouse, I'd say KU by 10 to 15 points. But the fact that it's at Texas, I won't be surprised if the Longhorns win this one. They're big, they're tall on the inside, and they're battle-tested. This is their fourth straight ranked opponent, and they're 2-1 during that stretch. So I think David McCormick's going to have to have a big game. And I also just look at the fact that it's a little bit of a letdown spot for KU coming off that huge win against Baylor. Now they got to get on the bus, get on the plane, go on the road for a super quick turnaround. Texas is going to have a good crowd there tonight. Uh, it's also the Chris Beard factor. I'm with you in that I think Texas is a little bit overrated in terms of everybody hyping them up before the season. 
I wasn't that impressed by them when they came to Manhattan and, and played K-State. But I think because of the style of play that they play, the fact that they're at home, I think it's going to be close. I, I think it comes down to the final possession in the last half minute. Maybe somebody misses a shot and there's some fouling and it ends up being a four or five point win for somebody. But I think it is going to go right down to the wire. You know, I hope so. I love a good entertaining basketball game, especially on Big Monday. And this is going to be the, your 8 o'clock tip yeah. on Big Monday. And we'll get it on our airwaves as well. It'll be on 92.7 The New Zoo tonight. So the Jayhawks and the Longhorns will be airing. And you get to tune in for that if you so choose. Uh, but we got to get to another break. We'll wrap up the show uh, after this one. We'll talk a little bit about that Pro Bowl and kind of what happened in Vegas over the weekend because one NFL player uh, might have had a little too much fun and it led to some problems. We'll talk to that talk about that next here on In the Zone on 1150 KSAL. Welcome back to the final segment of In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. I'm Jackson Schneider with James Wessling today. And to wrap up the show, we got to talk a little bit about the Pro Bowl. And, and when I say a little bit, I do mean just ever so slightly because I really didn't watch it at all. And I don't think I'm alone there. I don't think you watched much of it, did you, James? No, I didn't watch any of it. Yeah. It's not an entertaining product anymore. Players... You can, you can look back at some of the, quote, highlights of the game where there were some interesting plays and whatnot, and you can just see that no one really cares that they're a part of that game, and they're just kind of messing around. And I get it, because these are all guys whose seasons are over, and they're not playing for a Super Bowl where a lot of them would like to be, but it's just not an entertaining product, and... Uh, there are a lot of other interesting things that I think you could do um, instead of the Pro Bowl because it means nothing. It's not like it holds any significance for any team. There's no real reward to the winner outside of, like, I think you get a little check if you win. Um, but it, it's just, to me, it seems like a waste of time. And they already do, like, those skills competitions and weird things like that. Uh, but I was curious, James, do you have any ideas on things that could replace the Pro Bowl that are more entertaining for the public to watch? Uh, I can think of a lot of things, but f- they're not football related. Um, the Pro Bowl, the highlights that I saw and the the only Pro Bowl coverage that I watched, it looked like two-hand touch to me. Mm-hmm. Guys aren't even yep. getting tackled now. Yep. Which is, and, and to be honest, if I'm a player... I kind of get it. Why risk any type of injury? You're, you're, do the play? I mean, I, I know they get paid a little bit. It's more of just a hey, I'm a Pro Bowler type thing. I think it's more an honor than anything else, and it's just a big party for those guys. So, um, no, the Pro Bowl's dumb. I've never been a big fan of it. I've never watched it. Um, I, I re- didn't they try a draft format for a while? For yeah, a, a couple I think years so. that that. That was when it went from bad to worse. So, no, I, I'm i not a Pro Bowl fan. Me either. Uh, they held it in Las Vegas, which I have a few opinions about. Um, because, one, 
I think it's a horrible idea to to bring those guys together um, in a city like that because I feel like, and it's nothing against the athletes because they want to go and have fun, right? But you're asking for trouble. You are asking for problems having them in that city with all their money and what they can pay to do and have all that fun, which is their right to do. Go for it. But you're asking for problems by having it there. Um, And here's why. New Orleans Saints running back Alvin Kamara was arrested on a battery charge during the Pro Bowl weekend. Like, he got arrested like an hour after the Pro Bowl. He played in the Pro Bowl and then got arrested because the night prior to the Pro Bowl, he got into a... I guess a drunken altercation at some nightclub in Vegas and beat the living heck out of some random person, like within an inch of their life, apparently, like beat the heck out of them and then just showed up to the Pro Bowl the next day like nothing ever happened and he was good to go. Uh, But he posted bond and he got released from custody um, and all this stuff, but my, my main point is, why would you, if you're the NFL, risk putting all of these athletes in situations where you know they're going to want to go out and party and have a good time because their season's over, they're there to have a good time, and you know with that many players or people, just people, how many people go to Las Vegas and something bad happens because they take it too far, right? To me, I think you're asking for trouble, and that's just bad publicity for the NFL, who's already kind of struggling with its uh, public image these days anyways for a variety of reasons. I think that's just a – you're asking for a lot of problems if you're having the Pro Bowl there. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, if I'm a player, I guess I'd rather just be on a beach in Mexico or somewhere outside the country relaxing um, – than I would be with with just a, a bunch of dudes that I already know because I play in the NFL, and uh, so that I just I can't get on board with any aspect of the Pro Bowl regardless of where it is, and you get a glimpse of a, a day in the life of a Las Vegas Raider. Um, it is still just hard for me to wrap my head around an NFL team being in Las Vegas and the Raiders being in Las Vegas, and I think that. You know, the Raiders have always had problems wherever they've been, but it was certainly amplified this year in the last couple of years with them being in Las Vegas. And by the way, the NFL draft is in Las Vegas. I think we should talk tomorrow about uh, this maybe being the worst quarterback class in the last 20 years. And this could be a great (laughs) offseason for some backup quarterbacks in the NFL. Could we see the rebirth of Mitch Trubisky, Marcus Mariota, Teddy Bridgewater, Geno Smith, Gardner Minshew, Colt McCoy. I think any one of those guys could be starters next year in the NFL because there are no rookies that are going to come in and start right away this season in the NFL. It'll be a first for a really, really long time. That's a really interesting point, and I haven't even thought about that. But I do want to go back really quick because I thought of something. Um, The Pro Bowl was not the only major sporting event of no real meaning, by the way, um, this weekend that was in Las Vegas. The NHL All-Star Game was in Las Vegas this weekend, and they had their skills competition and and all that stuff. 
See, I found it um, somewhat entertaining, and I did watch a little bit of it at a, at it, a sports bar. It is bar. entertaining, and they kind of do. Uh, they they. I don't know if they did it this year, but they do this thing where it's like a three on three tournament, yeah. rather than a full on um, one big game of hockey. Um, and they had my, celebrities. Yeah, and they had, yeah. It was and, it was actually really. We were trying to figure out what the heck they were doing because they were wearing. One guy was in a dodgeball, average Joe's uniform, and just a bunch of really random fun stuff. Yeah, and they had like a, a skills competition where you're you're trying to hit a target um, while you're on like a floating platform above those Bellagio fountains, which yeah. I thought was pretty sick. But my main point is why why is that so much more entertaining than the NFL's Pro Bowl? And and the hockey is a tertiary major sport compared to the NFL. And yet they they will dominate you in terms of, of entertaining product in, in this situation. Also, just to throw a little cherry on top of another point that I had made, not a single NHL player got into trouble in Vegas, at least that we know of right now, I will say. Um, so why is that a thing? And the NFL is unable to avoid that situation in the same city. I don't know. But... Uh, I, I did watch portions of the NHL All-Star game, or at least the skills competition anyway, and it was very entertaining, um, unlike the NFL. So I just thought that was wild. But we do have a lot of time between us and the draft. But um, another thing, on Thursday, just to briefly touch on it, because we got to wrap up the show here shortly, did you see Skylar Thompson's performance in the the uh, East West? Was that the Shrine Bowl? Yeah, because uh, he he looked awesome, and so did Russ Yeast, by the way, for K State uh, at safety. But with that little performance, uh, Skylar Thompson's going to go to the the NFL Combine. He got an invite, which is pretty wild. And and to your point, James, of it being a weak talent year in terms of quarterback play in the NFL draft, could we see? Skylar Thompson sneak into a later round of that NFL draft, get a flyer from somebody, and maybe stick uh, on as a backup somewhere. It wouldn't surprise me because he had some NFL ready throws in that All Star game, and the scouts came away from that All Star game really not impressed with any of the quarterbacks that are projected to be first round picks. The kid from Liberty, Sam Howell, the kid from North Carolina, Kenny Pickett, none of them looked good in that All-Star game. And it's scared away a lot of GMs. So the, the thing about being a quarterback in the NFL draft, usually the top flight quarterbacks fly off the board in the first round. You get maybe one or two in the second round. And then there's a huge gap where no quarterbacks get drafted because everybody takes backups in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. Maybe Skylar Thompson gets a look, but, you know, he's got good size. He's healthy now. He has the tools to get a shot. I I think if he doesn't get drafted, he definitely gets invited to a camp. And, you know, sometimes quarterbacks that didn't really have NFL numbers in college or come from NFL systems end up getting a shot in the NFL. I mean, you look at the list of backup quarterbacks right now in the NFL, and it will blow your mind with where these guys came from and what they did in college. And Skylar Thompson was a good quarterback in college. I'm not saying he wasn't, but he wasn't an NFL caliber quarterback in college. So, Well, neither was Tim Boyle. And, uh, exactly. He ended up Tim starting Boyle a couple is games a this year for the great example. Jacoby Brissett <laughs> did nothing in college. Same with uh, uh, K-, 
Case Keenum and some of these other guys. Hey, hey, now there. Case Keenum was really good. Lighten up the uh, stat stat sheet for Houston. He was okay. at Houston. Yeah, that's probably a bad example. But he, I mean, he didn't win a lot of about, games. Well, they won about, a decent amount. I should Cooper say. Cooper Rush. That's Trace another one. Sorely. Um, AJ McCarron played on a really good team, but had very modest numbers. PJ Walker, Blaine yeah. Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert was the fourth best quarterback in the Big Twelve when he was at Missouri. <laughs> uh, Brandon Allen. Could you even tell me where Brandon Allen? Arkansas. Was college? Okay. Was it Arkansas? Or was it a Check it. Pull it up right now. Because I watched him beat the heck out of K State in the Liberty Bowl. Just was absolutely torched okay, K State nice. right, in that right. Liberty okay. Bowl. I'm impressed. <laughs> a few years ago. I'm impressed. John Wolford. He played at what? UConn. Jacob Eason. Tyler Henneke. Mike yeah. Glennon. There's a lot of unflattering names in that Very list. unflattering. I get it. I do get it. I'm just saying, it would be crazy to see Skylar Thompson get some interest, but I would. I, I am will. rooting for it. Yeah, I'm really rooting for it. That being said, we have reached the end of our show today. Uh, coming up here shortly, we will have the Kansas Wesley and Coaches Show live from the Library Sports Bar and Grill. So it's still time to get over there and uh, join us for Coyote Athletics. $4 nachos, 50-cent sliders, all that good stuff. You can get your food and fix and your, your Coyote Athletic fix in, and then you could stay and enjoy that KU Texas basketball game as well on one of their many great TVs in the Library Sports Bar and Grill. But for James Wessling, I am Jackson Schneider. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you tomorrow right here on 1150 KSAL.